Well, good morning. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse number 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Christian theologians are fond of saying that the church is an organism and not an organization. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase said. The church is uh, likened to a body, but uh, it, does, it does have organization, doesn't it? I mean, you think about your bodies. Far as I can tell, everybody's brain is in the same place, right? Um, lungs, eyes, ears, they're all generally organized in the same place. Our bodies are organisms, and organism and organized come from the same uh, root word. Our bodies aren't haphazard, are they? You don't have to walk up to somebody and just wonder, okay, is their hand going to be here, or is it going to be on their knee, you know, to shake their hand or something like that. It's, it's organized. And um, a human body that is different from the norm as viewed at the very least unique, and sometimes it's viewed as being deficient, particularly if it is, right? If something is born, you know, maybe without one lung or something like that, or an organ that doesn't work. Uh, sometimes, though, it's very unique. Heather and I have a friend who has eyes of two different colors, and there's a name for it. I didn't bother to look it up because I can never remember it, but I know you have seen people like that. That's very unique, and um, um, her eyes, though, are still in the same place. You know, it's, it's not in the back of the head. I know when you're a kid, you probably thought your mom had an eye in the back of her head, right? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. But God, in his eternal wisdom, designed the church to be a body with organization. The church has individual congregations, assemblies, and each assembly is made of individual members. And while not, while each member doesn't have the same function or purpose, each one of us is necessary for the well-being of the whole. And this means that gifts, our spiritual gifts, are given for service and not for status. Right? There are no spiritual elites in Christ's church. There are only justified sinners saved by the, God's grace, gifted by the Holy Spirit, so that we might, listen, serve one another and love one another as we serve. And that's, that's very important for us to remember. We are appointed to our various roles in the church by Christ himself. Think about the consequence of that. You are appointed by Christ to serve in a very specific way in his church. And it's all for the common good, and it's all for his glory. John Calvin said this, even the least significant of believers does in fact bear fruit relative to his slender resources, so that there is no such thing as a useless member of the church. Now, whether you think that your gift is slender or your gift is great, you're useful for the church. You're absolutely necessary for the working of the church. 
And I know I keep repeating that, but um, what do they say in school? Repetition aids learning, repetition aids learning, repetition aids learning, right? It takes a long time. And in the section of scripture that we're going to read, we'll see how that God appointed foundational gifts in the form of offices to get the church started before the New Testament was completed. That's the main thing we're going to be looking at today. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read our passage together. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. I'll stop right there. It is important for you to see the first, second, and third. That is important for this passage, okay? Uh, Then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the spiritual gifting of the church. We thank you uh, most of all uh, this morning for these special offices that you gave to help launch the church before there was ever a New Testament canon. We pray that you'll help us to think clearly and consistently with Scripture about these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. So, full disclosure... I'm going to use this sermon as a setup for chapter number 14 of 1 Corinthians, which is about the use of tongues. And this, this is an important foundational uh, teaching to get to chapter 14. So therefore, today's going to be more teaching than preaching. But um, uh, I want us to see, first of all, that there is a divine design. He says in verse number 27, You are the body of Christ, individually members of it. There is a divine design being implied here, right? If you know scripture, these words should encourage you. You are the body of Christ. They should be very encouraging. Why? Because scripture teaches that each body, human body, was designed with intimacy and care. Today, as uh, Ted mentioned, is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Very important that we advocate for the unborn. They're not fetuses. They're human beings. And each conceived embryo, if I can use that term, is a person given as a gift by God, uniquely designed to give him glory. Think about your children. Your children may vaguely resemble you, but their personalities are completely different, aren't they? They're completely different in their likes and dislikes, even their abilities. I always joke around, uh, uh, well, no, I better not. I'm going to leave that one out. So that's not a good joke to tell this morning. So we'll leave that alone. But... um, It's one of the foundational truths of Christian thought 
that each one of us is specially designed by the Lord in our mother's womb. Listen to the words of Psalm 139, verse number 13. For you form my inward parts. Christ, God, formed our inward parts. And then he says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Does it get more intimate than knitting something together, sewing it together, piecing it together, putting everything exactly the way you want it in my mother's womb? Now, whether your eyes are the same color or different, whether your fingers are long and slim or short and stubby, no matter if you have a long torso or a short torso, whether you're tall or vertically impaired, whether um, you sing like a siren or like a foghorn, all these things have been given to you by the Lord. You, dear believer, were knit together. And you are made exactly the way God wanted you to be made to give him full glory. He cannot get any more glorified if he gave you a different ability. It would not glorify him more if he gave you more of something. It would not glorify him less if he gave you less of something. You are designed exactly the way God wanted you to be designed. Because in your mother's womb, God knitted you together. Now think about that next time you stand in front of the bathroom mirror. (laughs) But I want to show you a truth from Colossians 2.19 that is very important. And Paul here is speaking about the church. And he says, he's talking about certain people. And he says, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, now remember, this is the church, nourished in what? Knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows with the growth that is from God. Now, interestingly enough, knit together there is the same Greek word as we found in Psalm 139 in the Septuagint. The Greek translation of Psalm 139 uses the same word. You knitted me together. That's used in Colossians 2.19, that the church is knit together. Now, what does that tell you about the church? The same amount of care that he used to put your body together, he uses to put his church together. And it's intimate. And so when we go to 1 Corinthians 12.27, look at that again. And he says, you are members of the body of Christ, the implication is what? You are essential, intimately placed in that body to please him. God gave you just the gifting you need to serve him faithfully in your local assembly. And guess what? Your gift and your uh, service is essential to the health of the body of Christ. Now, I know that you have been in different congregations, members of different congregations. I have too. I was in, I was in Hawaii, and then I spent 13 years in Memphis, and then I spent 12 years in Wisconsin. And guess what? Each individual congregation or assembly in God's church looked different. 
They had a different thrust of ministries. The one in Memphis had a thriving deaf ministry. We had 40 people, 40 deaf people. They had their own big section in our sanctuary that would come every Sunday and an army of interpreters. As a matter of fact, I took sign language and started doing some interpreting before I left there. I got interested in that. And it was, it was a great ministry. Uh, the church in, in Pound had a different gifting altogether. It looked different. And this congregation looks way different than the one up in Wisconsin. And so God, these assemblies, the, the types of gifting and everything else that's involved, your service is very important to individual assemblies and the individual assemblies are important to the church as a whole. And so you are very important. You think I've beaten that point home good enough? We are important. But there are some foundational offices that God gave the church that we will see in a moment in verse number 28. But before we get to those, I want you to see a phrase. Before we get to those offices, look at verse number 28. And God has appointed in the church. Now that word appointed means to put or to lay in place, to, to put or to place something there, to lay. And in the New Testament, most of the time, it is speaking of putting somebody in office, appointing them to an office, right? And, and so um, it's, it's, a, it's almost like an official. So God being sovereign, God being sovereign, over the church, appoints offices to the church. Now, who or what did he appoint? Well, um, we see this. Look at verse number 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Okay? They're the offices. Apostles, prophets, teachers. So there's a similar list in Ephesians 4.11, and it says this, and he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. Now these lists give the gifts in sort of an uh, order priority for the foundation of the church. And you, you need to think about something. 1 Corinthians was one of the first books that Paul wrote early in the ministry. Ephesians was towards the last, not, not the very last. It was during his first imprisonment, not the second, and they were probably a couple years apart. So it's towards the end of his ministry, and so the gift list looks different because of the timeline. I'll explain a little bit more about that in just, in just a moment. But, um, but Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, first, second, and third. And so there's a priority and I want to mention something else, too. These lists of gifts and offices, is, they're probably representative rather than comprehensive. Because if you look at the list of gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, it looks very different from this list. And you look at the other gifts or the other lists in the Bible, they're different. They're representative, right? And so notice what Paul does in 12, 28. Right in mid-sentence, he switches from offices, apostles, prophets, and teachers, to the various gifts, miracles, healing, and so on. 
Now, what, uh, what do we make of that? What do we make of that switch right in the middle without any kind of like a, a connector or anything like that? I take that as an indication that the gifts of the Spirit are connected to the officers of the church. I'll address that point in a moment. There's an important set of assumptions in view here. Let me give you the assumptions because this is going to help us. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus performs miracles, didn't he? Lots of them. John calls them signs, and he said that you couldn't contain everything he did in books. Remember that? He said you couldn't. And so Jesus performs miracles to confirm his office as Messiah. He would say, I am the Messiah. He would do a miracle, and everybody would start saying, well, could somebody who's not the Messiah do a miracle such as this? Remember them? They argued, the Jews argued back and forth with each other. Well, throughout the book of Acts, the apostles do the same to confirm the truth of the gospel that they proclaim. The book of Acts is the foundational, it's, it's showing the foundational growth of the church, and so you have these, these uh, apostles who are performing miracles and healings and stuff, and the, the fact, this fact ties the miracles directly to the office of apostle or to the apostolic circle, and it's to the establishment of the first churches which we read throughout the New Testament. And so there's a, there's a connection between the miracles and the office. Now, the second thing I want you to note is the term church. The term church. Ecclesia here, it's used in a universal sense. He gave to the church because the apostles, did they stay at one church? No, they went all over. The apostles, did they write, and it was only, that letter was only good for one church? No, because if that were true, we would have no New Testament, because it's good for the church as a whole, right? So God appointed specific believers to these particular offices in all of the churches. God also gives those chosen for these offices the spiritual gifts necessary to equip them for service in his church. And this is why those who are given certain gifts of spirit are then called to the offices that God has designed to rule his church in the name of Christ. Those offices, which Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians 12, what are the offices? Apostles, prophets, and teachers, they, they, they give way after their death to offices mentioned. Now remember, what are the last books that Paul wrote? He wrote them right before his death, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Remember? Pastoral epistles. And so the, the offices, apostles, prophets, and teachers, give way to offices that we find in these books called minister, um, elder, and deacon. Does that make sense? So that's later in the New Testament. By the time Paul dies, most of the New Testament had been written. He was one of the last apostles to die other than John. John was the last one to die. And so this is important because this means that the gifts of the Spirit 
mentioned here, miracles and healing specifically, clearly have a different role than the other gifts. So with that, as, um, as kind of a, a foundation here, let's, let's just ask this question then, what are the roles of apostles and prophets? What is their purpose? Well, their purpose was, was threefold, to lay the foundation of the church, to receive and declare the revelation of God, his, his word, and to give confirmation of that word through miracles and healings. That's what they did. That's, that, was, uh, that was their responsibility. Those are three responsibilities of the apostles and prophets. And so let's just run through this list real quick. The apostles, first of all, were commissioned by Jesus himself to establish churches after his commission, or after his ascension, right? What does the word apostle, apostolos mean? It means sent one. They were sent. They were sent out. To be an apostle, what was the criteria? What criteria did you have to have to be an apostle? Number one, you had to have seen the resurrected Lord. And number two, you had to have been chosen by him to be an apostle. And guess who the last one was that, re- that had those qualifications? Paul. Paul, on the road to Damascus, saw the resurrected Lord and was sent, chosen by the Lord, for that office. And, and he met those qualifications. One more note that I want you to think about when it comes to this matter of apostles. Did apostles ordain new apostles? Have you ever heard the term apostolic secession? They, did, they never ordained new apostles. Never. Okay? Whenever they planted churches, what did they ordain? Ministers, elders, deacons. So there's no apostolic secession. I know what you're thinking, some of you anyway. What about Barnabas and Silas and Timothy? I don't know if anybody was sitting there thinking that because they're called apostles and they didn't see the resurrected Lord. Well, these, these gentlemen were in the apostolic circle. They were very close to the apostle Paul and there's a secondary meaning to this word apostle. And it, it depends upon the context and that is the, the, the idea of being a messenger. A messenger. Uh, the word angelos, angel, means messenger. And apostolos, apostle, means sent one. And it can mean sent to give a message. He can be a messenger. And that is how, if you read in, um, in the New Testament, you'll see false apostles used and false prophets, those two terms used. They are false messengers. That's the way that word is being used. They're false messengers, just to let you know that. And so uh, those, are, those are the apostles. Now finally, both apostles appointed by Christ and the secondary apostles authenticated their message by miracles. That's, that's what Paul, or um, I'm sorry, Barnabas and Silas and, and Timothy, they, they confirmed their message with miracles. Uh, they were able to do that. Now that's, that's apostles. What are prophets? What are prophets? Well, first of all, I want you to know this. Prophets are not the same. If you look up back up in verse number 10, 
you see um, the, the gift of prophecy. That is different from the office of a prophet. It's different, okay? It's not the same as verse number 10. It seems that prophets are those men who were called to proclaim God's word, like a minister, okay, and are divinely enabled by the Holy Spirit to find Christ in the various books of the Old Testament. That's what you find them doing. They're, they're, they're expounding Christ in the Old Testament. The apostles are writing the New Testament and giving a new message. The prophets, while they may give a new message, primarily what you find them doing is exhorting people, here's Christ in the Old Testament. They're, they, uh, they were enabled by the Spirit to proclaim the message of Christ crucified. They were able to do it with supernatural boldness and often in, time, in the face of those who are hostile to Christianity. And so it seems that sometimes, and I'm using the word seems because I'm not going to live or die by some of these statements I'm making because they're just not that clear. I'm giving you my understanding of this, okay? It seems that prophets sometimes spoke revelation from God. I'm thinking about Acts 11. You can look at that uh, some other time. And sometimes they explained revelation already given, like in Acts 13.1. But they always spoke for God, and they didn't always give newly revealed message from God. Now, with a prophet, what the prophet said, if it was a newly revealed message, it was never written down for the church to canonize. You know what I mean when I say canonize, right? When I use the term New Testament canon, maybe I need to explain that. Um, the church came together in different councils, and they, they came up with the, the books of the New Testament. And the way they did this is they had um, what they considered the marks of the word from God in the books. And they had some rules. I'm not going to take time to go. It wasn't arbitrary, by the way. Um, and, and that, well, I better not say too much more. I'll just move on. But the prophet's message was never written down for the whole church. A prophet, a lot of times, as a matter of fact, uh, some men, they'll distinguish between an apostle and a prophet this way. This might help you. An apostle, uh, their message was more general and doctrinal. And a prophet's message was more personal and practical. Maybe that'll help out just a little bit. So here's a question. And I know I'm, I'm giving you a lot of information here, but this is an important foundation. When did apostles and prophets cease to be act, active as an office? The answer is, when the New Testament was completed... Their work was completed. When the New Testament was completed, their work was completed. Now, we can see the pattern already. Did you know that? In the Old Testament, what was the last book of the Old Testament written? Malachi. For 400 years, they call it the 400 years of silence. There was no book written. The Jews... The, the Jews, uh, they, they were waiting for a prophet. They knew that the next prophet that came would be the one that proclaimed the Messiah. And so during the days of Jesus, even before John the Baptist started prophesying, 
they kept waiting for that next prophet. And the next prophet came, the last Old Testament prophet was John the Baptist. Okay? So no prophets in the Old Testament after Malachi because the Old Testament canon was completed. Do you see? There's no need for prophets once the whole Old Testament was written. Um, John, we call him the last Old Testament prophet, but really he was declaring Jesus Christ is here. And we call him the last Old Testament prophet because then you have the church. So anyway, I want to remind you of the words of Ephesians 2.20 concerning the church. This is talking about the church. The church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone. And so this is, this is, this is uh, how they were foundational. Let me give you, uh, let's go to number three, the teachers. The office of teacher is closely related to prophet, and it likely referred to those who were engaged in uh, catechesis, which is simply doctrinal instruction and refuting the claims of false teachers and um, refuting heresies. Uh, and pagans. And so they were not really pro- proclaiming a message as much as they were teaching the message already. This, this difference is illustrated in the different ministries. For example, uh, well, let's talk about Corinthians, the Corinth for just a minute. Paul had the gift of prophecy, but we find in the book of Acts and in 1 Corinthians that Apollos was an able teacher. So there was a distinct difference in these guys. Now Paul switches right in the middle here from the gifts in the church um, or, or to the, from the offices to the gifts in the church. And some of them are temporary, some of them are permanent. Look at verse number 28 again. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So let's just talk about these. You want to talk about these gifts? And um, we'll go through some of them, not all of them. Number one, miracles and healing. You know, really, do, the, do I need to explain what a miracle is? I don't, do I? I don't need to explain healing either. I'll just say this. They're closely tied to apostles, prophets, and teachers and seem to be indicate that these two gifts were given to the office. If you didn't catch that earlier, I'll just repeat what I said earlier. Early in the life of the church, um, they were used. Think about this. When was the church established? Acts 2. When was the first recorded miracle by an apostle? The very beginning of Acts 3. If you remember that, Peter and John are walking into a temple. There's a lame man, and he's, he's asking for alms. And they said, I'll do the King James quotation, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, uh, take up your bed and walk, rise up and walk, or whatever, whatever however it went. And so there's, there's Peter and John, two apostles, doing miracles in the temple and around Jerusalem. Here's another one. This is in and around Jerusalem, Acts chapter 5. 
Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Okay, and they're all together in Solomon's portico, went into the, the temple mount. And verse number 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. That's just like Jesus Christ. And this is right after the establishment of the church. And Peter and John and the apostles are confirming their message through miracles and healings. Uh, when Paul, he's an apostle. Remember in Acts 28, he's going to Rome and they get shipwrecked for the winter on the island of Malta. And he healed the, the father of, of Publius. Uh, then all the people in the island that were sick and diseased came and he healed them all. It says this. It says the people also gathered. Uh, now in the neighborhood of that, I'm sorry, now in the neighborhood of that place, oh, I, I uh, missed the verses here. There we go. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father lay sick and with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases came and were cured. Now, this is an island that the gospel witness had not gotten to yet. And so Paul then is confirming his message. So why were these things done? Let's just conclude this. They were done to validate the gospel message during the period when there was no New Testament canon. Just like Jesus performed signs of his Messiahship in validation of his message of being the, the uh, promised Messiah, so the apostles and the prophets were able to perform signs and wonders to validate their message. Once the New Testament was completed, there were no more apostles and prophets, and there were no more miracles and healings. Now, did you hear what I said? Make sure you hear that and, what I, and don't hear what I didn't say. What I didn't say was that God doesn't heal today. That's not what I said. God most definitely heals that way. In my pastoral ministry, there have been numerous times that the doctor said, we found this on your CAT scan or we see this wrong with you. The church prays for the person, they go back, and the doctors can't find a thing. It's happened many times. So God does heal, but he does not endow somebody with the gift of healing because the, the New Testament is all that we need to confirm the message of Jesus Christ. Okay? Well, let me get to another one. Helping. Helping. That's simply serving others. This is, a, this is a permanent spiritual gift. Probably this is a person with great compassion and is able to serve others, and it, it most likely is the same, we're, uh, same gift that you find in Romans 12, 7, where it's called serving. It's probably the same thing. They're probably one and the same, just different words. And it's one of the most widely distributed gifts. Most likely, most people in the church have the gift of serving. 
The Greek word itself means to take the burden off. It means to take the burden off of someone else and place it on yourself. Isn't that a beautiful word picture? Carry one another's burdens. Bear. You know what the, the Bible says? That's a beautiful word picture. Do you bear one another's burdens? Do you, do you look to serve other people who are weighed down? The, do you remember what Jesus said about his ministry of serving? He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but what? But to serve, right? We imitate Christ as we serve others. In our relationships with one another, when we humbly give of ourselves, give of our time, give of our ability for the benefit of others, we are so like Jesus Christ who knelt down and did the very lowest job of all the servants in the household, and that was wash people's stinky feet. If you remember uh, uh, last week, I said that what? I said that the foot was the most defiled body part, and Christ was willing to do that. That's the attitude. Have this um, attitude in mind, which was also found in Christ Jesus. He left the glories of heaven, and he came down to earth, and he took upon himself the form of a servant. Serving one another's is, is the most common and sometimes the greatest way that we can be a blessing and build up the body of the church. I have personally witnessed people with gifts of helps and serving use their giftedness to bless other people in wonderful ways and to bless me in wonderful ways. There have been times when I've been weary and someone or a group of people with the gift of serving, they've stepped in and I went from weariness to energy just watching them, thinking about them sacrificing their time to help me out. It gave me energy. You've experienced that too, most likely, haven't you? It's wonderful. It's a wonderful blessing. It's, it's a behind-the-scenes gift, and it's not glamorous, but it greatly encourages the body. Helping a mother with young children going over to her house. Mowing the yard of a shut-in. Helping another believer move etc., 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 whatever it is, all these small acts, they build the body of Christ, and none of them is too small. Well, administrating, administrating. This is so fascinating, this word administrating. You know what it means? The word means to pilot a ship. It's a leadership skill. It involves the ability to direct people towards a goal. Oftentimes, pastors have this goal to varying degrees. And if a pastor doesn't have this gift like he should, God will gift somebody in the church to help that pastor out. But administrating is, is a leadership skill. And, and I'm not going to say much about that. I don't think I have to. We'll talk about tongues later. I'm going to skip over tongues again. But Paul mentions all these gifts and offices to emphasize the diversity of the body. And remember, 
God distributes these gifts as he wills. Implication is then that every church, every assembly is going to look different because you got a different combination of gifts in every assembly. No one church can do everything. Matter of fact, I don't want Providence Bible Church having, you know, 300 different ministries going on. It's impossible. We take what God has gifted our body or our assembly, the gifts that are in there, and we minister in those ways. And, you know, I have, I have well-intended people who come to me and say, you know, our church should do X, or our, our church should do Y. And that, that, that's great. Those are good things. But if God hasn't gifted our gift to do those things, then we shouldn't be doing them because God has gifted another church to do those things because the church universal was gifted by God. Now, all this being said, Paul concludes with a question. Look at, um, look at what he says in verse number 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? These are rhetorical questions, and the answer is no. These gifts of the body are distributed to various individuals throughout for the greater good of the whole. While it appears from Paul's questions that all Christians receive at least one spiritual gift, his questions also make it clear that no one Christian receives all the spiritual gifts. Everyone and their different gifts contribute to the well-being of the whole. So here's a concluding question, and that is this. What is our responsibility in all this? What is your responsibility? What is mine? Number one, we're to accept the ministries that God has given us with gratitude. We should be grateful. But a lot of times we're not grateful. We're what? We're envious of other people. We should be grateful. Number two, we are to be content. Oops, I'm sorry. We are to be content with the gift that God has given us. Be content. Third, we are to be faithful in using our gift. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. All through the Bible, God is faithful, and he's calling people to be faithful. Are you faithful using your gifts? You are indispensable to this body and to the body universal. One of the, the important problems that has cropped up in the church universal in the West, and I know it's got to be in, in other parts too, is the fallout from the coronavirus pandemic. Every single church I know of is struggling for volunteers. Every single one. And people, people crowd, come in here every Sunday morning. People come in here, and everything looks like it's running very smoothly. But what you don't realize in the background is that there is a real struggle to get volunteers for literally every single ministry that, that we have here to the corporate body. Every single one. From uh, small groups to nursery to children's ministry to the audiovisual team to the music team Every single area of our church has been affected by it, and every single area of every church has been affected by it. 
And um, there's been a lot of writing about it, a lot. I've, I've read uh, people say, okay, probably one of the things that happened is that, that people got comfortable um, in their fuzzy slippers on Sunday mornings and not volunteering. They haven't stepped back up. And I, I believe that's true because we all love comfort, don't we? We all love comfort. But number two, the other thing that we see going on is, is fear. Fear that I might get sick with coronavirus or any other kind of virus. And God has called us not to be fearful, but to serve him. Use proper precautions, yes, but don't be fearful. And so um, I, I wanna just ask, is there something in your mind that even right now maybe has popped up in your mind, a ministry that's not a coincidence, that most likely is the Holy Spirit nudging you just a little bit, maybe you could get involved. And if you're not sure what to get involved in, then please, by all means, talk to somebody uh, in the church, me or one of our elders or ministries. Look at the list. We've got lists of ministries everywhere and, and people who are in charge of them. And let's get active and let's serve the body. Let's serve the body well. Let's serve the body faithfully because one day, what are the words that Jesus will say to his own when we get there on that day? Well done, good and faithful servant. We're all servants. Let's serve God uh, joyfully, energetically, and with a servant's heart. Lord, I thank you for uh, the foundational offices of the church I thank you for the gifts that you have given the church. And Lord, I thank you so much for Providence Bible Church, this local assembly. What a wonderful blessing these people have been. Lord, I I, uh, pray that uh, you'll give us a greater understanding of this wonderful section of scripture from 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And then we'll understand appropriately the... uh, the, the difficult things such as uh, speaking in tongues and, and prophecies and those things that we'll be coming to in, in a few uh, weeks. But Lord, most of all right now, I pray that we will serve you, whether it's the church organization as an organization itself or serve one another off in quiet ministries away from the site. Lord, just help us to glorify you in a better and greater way in Christ's name. Amen.